Good to see you. Good to see you. Thanks for coming out. I want to welcome you to Potential Church. My name is Brian Vassell. I'm one of your pastors, and I'm excited that you are here. I want to welcome all of our campuses as well. Glad you're here today. It's an exciting weekend. You guys excited? This corner of the room is excited. Campuses, you guys excited? Yeah, it's, it's Independence Day weekend. Now, if you're here from another campus that's outside the U.S., it's the 4th of July. And it's still exciting, right? I want to welcome you all here on behalf of Pastor Troy and Steph. They've asked me to come here and share just another part of our power series. If you missed any part of that, go back and grab it. It's on our app. It's totally free. You can download that. I want to thank you, Pastor Troy, Pastor Steph, for allowing me to be able to be a part of this series and share from my heart something near and dear. I want to ask you, if you would, as we're getting started today, take out that insert you received when you came in. You will need it. It is part of our experience today, and I want to encourage you to take some notes and put it up on your fridge later and use it. That's the goal, to have something you didn't have when you came in. Let me start off today by asking you a very important question. Who is the boss of your family? Raise your hand. If you're the boss of your family, raise your hand. Don't be shy. It's okay. All of our campuses, if you're the boss of your family. Now, here's what I see. I see couples, or both of them are raising their hand. Lots to talk about on the way home today, okay? Have that discussion. Who is the boss of your family? For a lot of us, the boss of your family is the one who might be the loudest or the one that can win an argument or the one that can turn on the waterworks and cry, right? They're the emotional manipulators. They're the controllers of the family. Anybody who know a family that's controlled by children? Not us. Nobody on our campuses Theoretically, there are families out there that are controlled by the kids. They are the bosses of the home. They have the power. Power is awesome, isn't it? Power is amazing. It was easy for me as a kid to know who had the power in my house because uh, back when dinosaurs roamed the earth, we used to have these things called televisions that did not have remote control. They existed. How many of you guys remember that? All of our campuses, anybody? Okay, you're dating yourself, but I'm with you, right? And what I had to do, my dad used to make me go down to the end of the room, and when he'd go change, I'd have to change the channel. I was the remote control of my house growing up. My dad said he had me for two reasons. He said, changing the channels and cutting the grass. And I said, thanks, Dad. That self-esteem workshop you got going for me is kicking in. I feel great about myself. Thanks for that. But I'll never forget the day we got our first television with a remote control because the person who controlled the remote control was the boss of the house. And we used to call it the force. This was back in the seventies, right? And we had a remote control like this one. Actually it was much bigger with big clunky buttons. If you ever remember the old TVs, they only used to have like up and down and on channels. They weren't fancy like this one. But if you controlled the force, you controlled the house. You decided what shows we watched you decided when it was time to go to bed because you shut the TV off. You decided what we, what we watched, what we didn't watch, the volume of the TV. My wife and I have an argument all the time. The TV's too loud. No, it's not. All the time, right? Who is the boss of your house? What's, I mean, power is great to have in a family. Why is power so lit? Why is it so awesome to have power? Because you get to call the shots. You get to decide where you go on vacation. You get to decide who pays the bills, who di- I'm not paying bills, who, you know, what color the car is going to be that you choose as a family. Power is a good thing to have, but family power can be used for good or not so good things. 
If you're the boss of your house, you can, you can steer your house and your family the right way. You can steer your in-laws the right way, your aunts and your uncles the right way, or not so good a way. Now dream with me for a second. I put right at the very top of your outline, you'll see a sentence. Just dream with me. What would your life be like, what would your life be like if you had all the power in your family? I want you to fill this in. There's not really a blank there, but there's a space. Here's the question. If I were in total control of my family, I would change blank. Take a second. Please fill that in. Now, I will warn you, if you came with somebody, don't put their name in the blank. You with me, right? Long car ride home. Don't do that. If you put my husband or my wife, scratch that out. If you put my kids, I would change my kids. Don't say that about your kids right? You are in the family you are in for a reason. But if you had all the power in the world, what would you change in your family? What would be the one thing you would make different? I believe this with my whole heart. Everybody in a family has power. Everybody has power. Now, you may not think of yourself as the boss, but if you're part of a family, an extended family, you have authority, you have power, right? Even if you're young, you have power in your family, even if that power is just the power to control yourself. You still have power in a family. Here's the question. What does God want us to do with the power he's given us in our families? That's what we're going to talk about today. If you would, again, fill out that outline as we go through. I think you're going to get some valuable stuff from God today. What does God want us to do with the power that he's given us? And we're going to use the story of Joseph. Now, if you have your Bibles, and I always encourage you to bring your Bibles with you, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 42, and the story of Joseph. And it's a great story. Pastor Corey started it a few weeks ago. And we're going to kind of continue his story today. Not Pastor Corey's story, but Joseph's story. Now, I want to bring you up to speed, okay? Joseph, here's his kind of a real quick Reader's Digest version of Joseph's life. Joseph had a lot of brothers. And his brothers were jealous of him. Because the dad, Jacob, favored Joseph. And they gave him a coat of many colors, you may have heard. And his brothers were so jealous of him, one day they decided to throw him into a cistern or a hole, a well and basically leave him for dead. Well, some circumstances happened, and eventually Joseph was sold off into slavery, and he was sold to a man by the name of Potiphar. Now, Potiphar was a high-ranking Egyptian official. So Joseph was sold into slavery to Potiphar, and time passed, and Joseph ended up actually running Potiphar's household. So he's gone from living in a, in a hole, being you know, picked on by his brothers, to now kind of helping run the country of Egypt. Well, Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph, and Joseph runs and says, I don't want any part of that. So his wife makes up, Potiphar's wife makes up a story, gets Joseph thrown into prison. While Joseph's in prison, the, 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 the Pharaoh starts having these dreams, and no one can interpret the dreams, but Joseph, while he's in prison, interprets the king's dreams. And the king is so, the, the Pharaoh is so blown away by that interpretation skill that he takes Joseph out of jail and makes him a, an official, somebody who's kind of helping to run, actually the governor, so to speak, of Egypt. So that's a pretty cool story. But now we're going to pick up because one thing that Joseph predicted in the dreams of the Pharaoh was that there would be a mass famine across the land. No food. No food. And here we have, as we're going to pick up here in the story, in Genesis 42, starting in verse 5, I've put it there in your outline. His brothers, Joseph's brothers, are going to come and talk to Joseph. Remember, Joseph is a government official. Joseph gets to decide who gets food and who doesn't get food. And here's Joseph's brothers coming to buy food. Let's find out what happens. It says, so Jacob's sons, remember that's Joseph's brothers, arrived in Egypt along with others to buy food. For the famine was in Canaan as well. They were Canaanites. 
Since Joseph was governor of all Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that his brothers came. When they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground. So that's a pretty amazing thing already. His brothers who threw him into a hole are now bowing to him. But it keeps going. Joseph recognized his brothers instantly. Now, listen, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where are you from, he demanded. From the land of Canaan, they replied. We have come to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him. It had been years. They hadn't seen their brother in a while. And he remembered the dreams he'd had about them many years before. He said to them, you are spies. You've come to see how vulnerable our land has become. Joseph's reaction to his brother's request, he accuses them of being spies. Now, they didn't recognize him. You know, he's all decked out probably, right? He was a governor of Egypt. He had probably gold on, and the Egyptian men back then wore, you know, guy liner, and they had maybe a headpiece. They didn't recognize him. Plus, Joseph spoke Egyptian. So they wouldn't even understand what he, they weren't able to communicate except through an interpreter, as we'll find out. So his brothers are dumbfounded, and they're, they're, they're like, we're not spies. But he says, you're spies. You came to check out our land. Now, I would say, and maybe you agree with me, that Joseph had all of the family power at this point. Joseph could have done anything he wanted to his brothers. He could have had them beheaded. Remember, he, he, really, he, he might have had revenge on his mind. You guys threw me in a hole and left me for dead. And here you are begging me for food? But that's not what he said to them. He, he accused them of being, of being spies. So here's the question. What can we learn from the way Joseph handled his brothers that can help us deal with the power we have in our family better? How can we help our family win with the power we have? I'm glad you asked. There's three things. Here's number one. Please fill this in if you would. All of our campuses and online, we have to use our power to correct, not crush. Use our power, our family power, to correct and not crush. Here's what Joseph decided to do, and it's another big passage, so just bear with me. It's a lot of reading, but it's important. Genesis 42, starting in verse 17. It says, so Joseph put them all where? You guys sound excited. I asked you at the beginning, are you excited? You said, yes, we're excited. So where did he put them? In prison. Yes. There we go. We're better. For three days. He puts them in prison. On the third day, Joseph said to them, I am a God-fearing man, my brothers. If you do as I say, I will let you live. If you really are honest men, choose one of your brothers to remain in prison. The rest of you may go home with grain for your families but you must bring your youngest brother back to me. This was the brother named Benjamin. Okay, so remember, Joseph, it's Joseph's brother, Benjamin. He says, you guys can stay, or you can stay, leave one behind, you guys go back with some grain, but you gotta bring Benjamin back to me. This will prove that you're telling the truth and you will not die. To this they agreed, speaking among themselves, they said, clearly we are being what? Punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. So they're, they're going, man, I, I knew we shouldn't have thrown him in that well. Now, again, they don't even know that it's Joseph. They're just saying what's happening to us right now is punishment from God. You ever felt like that? That God was punishing you for something you did a long time ago? Well, his brothers were no different. God is punishing us for something we did. I knew we shouldn't have thrown him in that well. Too late for that. We saw his anguish, his brothers said, when he pleaded for his life, but we wouldn't listen. That's why we're in this trouble. Now, of course, they didn't know that Joseph understood them. Why? Because he spoke their language. He pretended he didn't. He spoke Egyptian to them, but he understood everything they were saying. And it says, for he had been speaking to them through an interpreter. Now he turned away and began to what? To weep. 
Boy, this bothered Joseph so much. Why did Joseph start to cry? Because Joseph knew he had to teach his brothers a lesson. Joseph knew he had to see if their hearts were the same hearts that, of the men that had thrown him into a, a hole so long ago. I have to correct their behavior, Joseph thought, and it, it, it upset him that he had to teach his brothers a lesson. Joseph said, I, I, I want to forgive them. I want to correct them. I don't want to crush them. You ever have to do that in your family? You're a, you ever have to correct someone in your family? If you're a parent, you ever have to correct a child? Is it easy to do? Not all the time. Discipline can be hard. It could be a child. It could be a parent-child. It could be someone you have to call like an in-law. You ever try to correct an in-law? It's dangerous water, right? But sometimes you have to make the phone call, and it's hard. But we have to try to correct and not crush. You know, uh, when I was growing up, we used these things. Anybody ever use one of these to kill a fly? Little fly swatter. You don't, I, didn't, I couldn't find one of these for a long time, but I found a bunch. Fly swatter. We used to kill flies with these. But you know what I could have used if I wanted to? I could have used this. I could have killed flies at home with this, right? It still kills. Dead is dead, right? Hulk smash. Me hate fly, right? I could have done that. I could just beat. Now, what would have happened if I killed flies at home with a sledgehammer? I would have done a lot of damage. Some of us discipline our children with this when all we need to do is correct them. And we cause damage. And every single time we have to discipline in our families and use the power that God's given us, we have to make the choice. Are we here to correct a behavior or crush a spirit? Every time we make a decision. But you've got to make that decision before you react. Because a lot of us react, right? We don't think through it as we should. I put it in your notes this way. You can get even with a family member and lose at the same time. Even if you're right. Even if you're the one that has all the cards. Even if you're one that has all the power. You can get even with your family and lose. You'll cause damage that's irreparable. Because what happens, right? We swing the sledgehammer. We're just trying to crush. And what happens, I put up a graphic. Let's see if we have it. Do we have that picture? Yes, no, there it is. Right behind me, can you see it there? This is kind of what it looks like. You can leave that up there, guys, for just a second. We smash someone, and then we say we're sorry, so we put a Band-Aid on it. But look what happens behind the Band-Aid. Still a lot of damage. Because we've chosen to hurt or crush and destroy. Joseph could have done that. Joseph could have taken his whole family out, but he says, you know what? I need to correct their behavior, not crush them, not destroy them, not ruin them. You ever seen somebody go off on their kid? I was in Walmart the other day, and uh, there was a lady who had a daughter that put something extra in the shopping cart, and the mom went nuts. Now, if you're here today, by the way, if that's you, um, have a special prayer vigil afterwards to <laughs> control it. Now, you know, but you could tell she was right at the rim, right? She, one more drop of water, something was going to spill. She was right there, and the kid put something in the cart, and the mom just stopped. What are you doing? Just losing it in the middle of Walmart going off. Was that meant to correct the child's behavior? No. That child was being obedient. Why? Because they were afraid. You ever use the power you have to lead your family into fear? Intimidate them? Scare them into submission? Joseph could have done that. 
Joseph chose haste. I need to correct their behavior. Well, nobody wants to admit that they use a sledgehammer. Here's a couple of indicators. If you've ever gone historical on somebody, you probably try to use the sledgehammer. What does it mean by historical? You ever use somebody's past to beat them up? Now, nobody wants to admit that we ever do that, but it's such an easy weapon, right? Remember back when? Remember that time? And we choose to destroy a family member instead of correcting the issue. How about this one? You ever look for the soft spots in their armor? You, you know the right words that you say that just sets them off? You know what those words are, right? Because your family, those with your last name, they can hurt you the worst because they know you the best. And we look for those little holes, those little spots that if I just say that thing, I'm going to set them off and I'm going to control them. The problem with power. I'm going to crush them. We have to choose correction over crushing. The idea is not to destroy someone, but to correct the behavior. I put it in your notes this way. If you would, all of our campuses, please fill this in. The greatest power you have is the power to control yourself. As a member of your family, the greatest power you have is self-control. It's also the hardest, isn't it? Because they have it coming, don't they? And I have all the cards. Joseph had all the cards. He was right. He had authority. He had opportunity. But Joseph controlled himself. Why? Because before he made that discipline decision, Joseph had the end in mind. He said, I'm not going to destroy my family. I'm going to restore them. I'm going to restore them. I'm going to heal this family with that power. In fact, that's the goal, if you would, fill that in. The goal here is restoration. Restoration. Here's what Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 7. It's the, from the Sermon on the Mount, the, the greatest teaching ever. Jesus says this, God blesses those who are, it's on the screens, merciful. Someone in your family has it coming, and you can destroy them. But God says what? God blesses those who are merciful, those who don't give the person what they have coming, but instead extend a hand. Merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. If you have power in your home, be merciful, be loving, be a peacemaker. That's the godly use of the power God has given you in your family. So that's number one. Correct, not crush. Here's number two. We have to use our power to model gratitude, not gloominess. Gratitude, not gloominess. Now what do I mean by that? If we're going to continue the story, right? The boys come back with their bags of grain. And what they don't know is that Joseph has snuck their money back into the bags. So he gave them the grain and he snuck their, their little bag of coins back into the bag. So let's see what happens when they get home. Says, As they emptied out their sacks, there in each man's sack was the bag of money he'd paid for the grain. Awesome. The brothers and their father were what? Happy? Grateful? Thankful? Loving? No, they were terrified when they saw the bags of money. And here's the dad. Here's what the dad does. Jacob exclaimed, you are robbing me of my children. Joseph is gone. Simeon is gone. And now you want to take Benjamin too. Look at the last phrase. Underline it. Maybe you've heard it said in your own home. Everything is going against me. You know somebody like that? It's never, ever, 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 ever good enough. There's always something lacking. All I have is this stupid iPhone 6, not an iPhone 6S. Everything's going against me. 
I don't, my, my house is too small. My husband's not hot enough. My wife doesn't cook right. It's all so terrible, right? Jacob had a perfect opportunity to model gratitude. And what did he do? Everybody hates me. I think I'll crawl into a hole and die. You have power in your home. God has put you in your home with a certain amount of power. You can model gratitude. Jacob did not do a great job of that. Of that. But I do know this. If you're a parent, your children pick up on this. If you're in a house where you're giving thanks to God for what you do have as opposed to looking for what you don't, your kids pick up on that. I wrote down in my notes this. I put, ungrateful children come from ungrateful homes. This is not something they're born with. They watch you. They watch me. If when we get home from work, all we do is complain about the size of our paycheck as opposed to thanking God for the job we have, they pick up on that. It, having lack of gratitude is contagious. But if we use the power we have to teach gratitude and thankfulness, we can affect our families. I was watching the show Little House on the Prairie. Anybody ever seen that show? All of our campuses? I know I'm dating myself again. It was on the TV that had the little dials, all right? That just shows you. And I was watching the Christmas show, and on the Christmas show, the kids, guess what they got for Christmas in their stocking? They got an orange and a penny. An orange and a penny. What was their reaction to the orange and the penny? They ran to their mom and dad and threw their arms around mom and dad's neck and hugged them and said, thank you, thank you, thank you. You'd have thought they were all given PlayStation 4s or something, right? This is the best gift ever. Thank you so much. Why do children do that? Because they watch their parents thanking God for what they do have rather than what they don't. Gratitude is a state of your house. If you, if you have kids that are ungrateful, guess what? Guess where they learn that from? Their families. You can change your family in gratitude. I put it in, Paul figured this out. He wrote in the book of Philippians. This is on your screens, not on your notes. Philippians chapter four, starting in verse 11. It says, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything, Paul said. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Paul says, I figured out the secret of life. It's contentment. We all have power in our homes. Every day we should be thanking God for what we have. But we take it for granted. I mean, we should have that stuff, right? We work hard. I, I think, I think the, the path is this. I put this in your notes. Complaining leads to ungratefulness, which leads to what? To stress. Please fill that in. When we complain about what God isn't doing, it leads to stress in our home. It leads to stress in our family. It leads to stress in our life. But the other route is this. When we count our blessings. Now, here's the deal. A lot of us don't think we're being blessed right now. Because you're here today, all of our campuses, and the fact that you're still breathing, you're blessed. You're still here. When we count our blessings, what does that lead to? That leads to satisfaction. God is doing it. He's taking care of us, which leads to, please fill this in, leads to joy. If you want joy in your family, teach gratitude. Model gratitude. Model thankfulness. That's the goal. The goal, if you would, fill that in, is thankfulness. Be thankful for what you have. Is it everything you want? Maybe not. Maybe it is. But we've got to model thankfulness. Jacob blew it. Jacob could have looked at his sons and went, hey guys, you know, I know we're still in some trouble here, but God is being so good to us. 
But Jacob didn't do that. He said, oh, woe is me. Look what God's doing. We're being punished. Here's number three, and we're done. So we need to correct and not crush. We need to teach gratefulness, not gloominess. And here's the third one. Number three, use your power to release, not resent. Use the power God has given you and your family to release and not resent. Now, a few other things happen to our buddy Joseph, and let's see how the story ends up. Eventually, he reveals to his brothers who he is. Here's the, here's the revelation. Here it is. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. Can you imagine the scene? I don't know if he took off his headdress or wiped the makeup off or started speaking to them in their own language. I don't know what it looked like, but can you imagine being one of his brothers? Uh, it's uh, just stunned. It's you. We thought you were dead. We threw you in a hole when we were kids. It, it's you. Not only is it you, but you're in charge here. Wow, right? They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Joseph says, please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. And I love the next phrase, if you would underline it. But don't be upset. And don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. It says, then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, they began talking freely with him. It's an amazing scene of restoration. Joseph had every right to punish his brothers. But what did he do? According to this passage of scripture, Joseph chose to forgive them. Now, forgiveness is not an easy thing in your family, is it? It's very hard. I suspect there are people here today, all of our campuses, that have been wronged by a family member that happened a long time ago. Something was said, something was done, and it's hard to forgive. It's easy to read about Joseph doing it, but it's hard for us to think about doing that. I, I, Pastor, you don't understand. Because if I forgive them, they win. If I forgive them, they, they, they have the advantage. They, they eventually, they, they get the bragging rights, right? But that's, forgiveness is important, but it's so hard to do it. Why should you be the one to have to do it? Why should I have to be the one to forgive my family? Simply this reason. Because when you forgive someone in your family, you get the opportunity to move on with your life. Because what starts to happen, if we don't forgive, we start harboring resentment, right? We start living out this life of, oh, we play out scenarios in our mind and go, oh, they have this coming. One day I'm going to get revenge. One day they're going to get it. One day they're, and we play all these scenarios out and we get all stressed out. We wake up thinking about it. And you know what? The person who caused the pain never thinks about it at all. But for 20 years, it can eat your lunch. Boy, this is hard to do. I'm not going to stand up in front of you and be hypocritical. I'm going to tell you, I struggle with this exact same thing. Because my flesh, my skin says revenge. Get even. God says we have to forgive and move on. Now, I think there are two groups of people. I've been in ministry for 20-something years, and there's two different groups of people in the room today. The first group feels like Joseph. You've been wronged. Someone has hurt you in your family. And I want you to fill this in if you would. Here, if you feel like Joseph today, I want you to know your family is made up of broken and imperfect people. 
I'm going to read that again. Your family is made up of broken and imperfect people. So is mine. Please fill this in. We have to forgive them. Because if we don't, we find ourselves in a prison that we made ourselves. We didn't create the scenario, but we're the ones playing it over and over and over and over and over in our heads, and this is hard to do. It's hard to do. I want you to hear me clearly. This does not mean, I'm not telling you to forgive and forget. I'm telling you to forgive and move on. It's unrealistic to think for a second, if someone has hurt you in your family, that you can just say, okay, I forgive you, and never think about it again. You're going to think about it again. But you've got to move past it. You have to move past it. It's hard, but it can be done. But the second category of people are the people who have done the wronging, the people who have caused the pain. I kind of listed it there in your outline as Jacob and his sons. Right? I want to read this to you. If you're the one that has caused the pain in your family, you are part of an imperfect family. Forgive yourself. If you have caused someone in your family pain, you have two steps to recovery. Number one, seek forgiveness from the person that you've hurt. Easy to do if they're alive, impossible to do if they are dead. Because there's some people in here that have hurt someone in their family that they can no longer apologize to. I know that. I'm one of them. You gotta do the best you can. But if you have someone living that you've hurt, first step is seek, seek forgiveness from them. And the second is to forgive yourself. Because if you don't, you'll beat yourself up a lot over the power abuse that you've done in your family, what you've done to them. You've got to move on. You've got to forgive yourself. Seek forgiveness and forgive yourself. I'm going to challenge you, church. It's time to heal your family. To put family strength over personal pride. It may be the hardest phone call you'll ever make. On either end of this, whether you've caused the pain or been hurt. It's time to stop hurting. All of us in this room have been given power to do that. Now, some of us in the room, the hardest step we'll ever take is the, just admitting that we've ever actually hurt someone or that we are hurting. But when we do, the healing can begin. Please fill that in. The goal of this entire thing is to use the power God has given you and your family for healing. There's no real blank there. You can write that in somewhere. The goal of this step is healing. It's time for your family to be healthy. I want to, I want to tell you, church, the devil does not want your family to be healthy. Did you know that? We live in a world that is almost at war with healthy families. You have the power to change the complexion, the feel, the power of your family. You can do it. You can do it. All of us have that power. Joseph did, and he used it to restore his family. Remember, if he'd have punished his brothers like he wanted to, they would have never had that hugging scene, that crying scene at the end. Joseph, from the very beginning, said, I'm going to restore my family with the power that I have. Now, I want to wrap up with two quick little truths. God gave me these after I'd already kind of worked on this message, and I want to share them with you because I think they're important. Here's the first thing. It's kind of one thought split into two. All of our family power is God-given. All of our family power is God-given. Please fill that in. You are a dad because God made you a dad. You are an aunt because God made you an aunt. 
You're a sister because God made you a sister. God, here you go, God put you in the family that you're in. Some of you are going, hey, thanks, God. Awesome, right? But I can promise you this. You are in the family that you are in for a reason. I was brought up in a family that, that Jesus was not ever talked about. Why would a pastor, now of course at the time I didn't know I was going to be a pastor, why would a guy that would eventually be a pastor be dropped into a family that didn't follow Christ? Why? Because God knew what he was doing. Still does. You are in the family you are in for a reason. In-laws and outlaws, all of them, you're there because God wants you to be there. Here's part two of that same thought. You're given that power because God gave it to you, and the power you have is temporary. You will not have the power you have forever. Anybody in the room raise a teenager? Your power goes like this, and their friend's power goes like this, doesn't it? And peers, and social media. The power you have will not be your power forever. The power God has given you in your family, you are a steward of it. You're not gonna have it forever. Maybe there's somebody in your life right now that you have to have a difficult conversation with. You're not gonna have the power to make it right forever. Why? Because people die. Families change. Sometimes when grandfathers or great-grandfathers pass away and you're the dad and you're going, now I'm the patriarch of the family. My power has changed. I'm not ready for this. God says, yes, you are. I've given you that power. Change your family. Be the person I've created you to be. Use the power I've given you to change your family. So the question is, what is holding you back from doing that? To correct and not crush. To, 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 to model gratefulness and, and gratitude and thankfulness. Or to exercise the power of forgiveness. Or to seek forgiveness. This is not easy. And I, I give you this verse every time. If you've ever seen me speak before, you know that I love this verse with all my whole heart. I want to give it to you again because it's the one go-to verse that when things are really hard in my life, this is the one I turn to. When I don't think I can use my power to change people, when I don't think I can use my power to, to really represent Christ in a family that doesn't, I turn to this verse. It says this, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do I understand my family? No. Do I understand why I have the power I do? No, but I can do this. I do understand that I can trust in God with my whole heart. That when I don't have the words to say, when I don't have the strength to forgive, when I can trust in God with all my heart and not depend on my own understanding. And I love this. To seek his will. To seek his will. The devil wants to tear your family apart. Some families he's succeeding. God says, I put you in your family for a reason to bring it back together and honor me with it. That's God's heart. And God will show you the path to take. I, I'm not here to tell you what to say to those people. I'm not here to tell you how to have the conversations. I am here to tell you to use the power you have to take the first step and God will take over. He will give you the words you need, the strength you need, not a minute before, but right on time. Some of us are just praying for the opportunity. I know God will bring you that as well. I was um, walking through a graveyard 
a cemetery. And you know what you see on the gravestones, at least down here in South Florida, you see there's a name written of the deceased and then the birth and the death dates. But below that, you always see, you know, most of the time you see a little phrase, beloved mother, right? Generous grandmother or whatever it is, loving father. Why do people write that on a gravestone? Because that was the person's reputation they had when they were here. That's how they were known. That's how the person used the power they had to affect their family. Church, I need to ask you a very important question. God forbid this happens, but if you were to die tomorrow, what would your family write on your headstone? What would your family say about you, about how you're using the power that God has given you to be generous, to model humility, to be loving, to be a peacemaker, to be merciful? Would they put that under your name? If the answer is yes, keep it up. If the answer is no, there's no better time to start changing your family, changing yourself first than today. God has given you a tremendous opportunity in your family. He's given you power to change yourself and change the climate of where you live. And I believe this with my whole heart that if you're willing to take that step, if I'm willing to take that step, when families get stronger and the enemy starts losing his grip, God gets the glory, breakthrough starts to happen, families are stronger than ever, and I believe with my whole heart the world can change, starting with your family. Your block will change, your family will change, your neighborhood will change, your city will change, and this world will change just because great stewards of the power God put in you and your family. Are you ready to make the changes you need to make? I'll be praying for you. It's not an easy thing, but we can do it through him, not us. Let's pray together. God, you are so good. And I know for many, this is a very difficult message to hear because we know we need to make some changes. But God, help us to be good stewards of the power you've put in us. No matter where we are in the family, Father, reveal to us today, all of us, every campus, what you want us to do with the authority you've given us. Help us to repair and mend and fix and be merciful, extend grace and love when it might not even be asked for, deserved. But God, you, I know you want us to do these things. Thank you for the opportunity and the challenge. And Father, I pray for each and every person in this room today, all of our campuses and online, that not only would you give them the opportunity to use that power, but the strength, the perseverance, the wisdom, the discernment, and the right words to say, to mend, repair, and strengthen. Because we know that big things are coming for every family in this room. And we're gonna give you the praise and the glory for the victories that are ahead. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Let's give God a hand today if you would. Amen. Let's give it up for Pastor Brian. Come on.